Section 2 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 23, April 6, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 23, April 6, 1880. The Awakening by M. M. Down all the rugged mountain slopes, through all the mossy dells, there comes a gentle purling sound, like peals of fairy bells. A tinkling, rippling, gurgling song is borne on every breeze. Mysterious whispers seem to stir the grim old forest trees. The tiny grasses wave their hands and gaily nod their heads to lazy buds still half asleep in cosy winter beds. And now the riotous sunbeams come, they draw the curtains wide, nor leave untouched the smallest nook where sleepy buds may hide. Awake, awake, the whole earth cries. King Winter's reign is past. His crown he yields to his fairest child, and spring is queen at last. Salt and its value All our young readers know the value of that familiar and useful substance, salt, which enters so largely into our daily wants, and is so essential to our existence. Formerly prisoners in Holland were kept from the use of salt, but this deprivation produced such terrible diseases that this practice was abolished. The Mexicans, in old times, in cases of rebellion, deprived entire provinces of this indispensable commodity, and thus left innocent and guilty alike to rot to death. This mineral is frequently mentioned in the Bible. The sacrifices of the Jews were all seasoned with salt, and we read of a covenant of salt. Salt was procured by the Hebrews from the hills of salt which lie about the southern extremity of the Dead Sea, and from the waters of that sea, which overflow the banks yearly, and leave a deposit of salt both abundant and good. Among ancient nations, salt was a symbol of friendship and fidelity, as it is present among the Arabs and other Oriental people. In some eastern countries, if a guest has tasted salt with his host, he is safe from all enemies even although the person receiving the salt may have committed an injury against his entertainer himself. Among the common people all over Scotland, a new house, or one which a new tenant was about to enter, was always sprinkled with salt, by way of inducing good luck. Another custom of a curious nature once prevailed in England, and other countries in reference to salt. Men of rank formerly dined at the same table with their dependents and servants. The master of the house and his relations sat at the upper end, where the floor was a little raised. The persons of greatest consequence sat next, and all along down the sides, toward the bottom of the table, the servants were placed according to their situations. At a certain part of the table was placed a large salt fat, which divided the superior from the inferior classes. Sitting above the salt was the mark of a gentleman, or man of good connections, while to sit beneath it showed a humble station in society. Salt is found in greater or less quantities in almost every substance on earth, but the waters of the sea appear to have been its first great magazine. It is found there dissolved in certain proportions, and two purposes are thus served, namely the preservation of that vast body of waters, which otherwise, from the innumerable objects of animal and vegetable life within it, would become an insupportable mass of corruption, and the supplying of a large proportion of the salt we require in our food, and for other purposes. The quantity of salt contained in the sea, according to the best authorities, amounts to 400,000 billion cubic feet, which, if piled up, would form a mass 140 miles long 
as many broad and as many high, or otherwise disposed, would cover the whole of Europe, islands, seas, and all, to the height of the summit of Mont Blanc, which is about 16,000 feet in height. If salt, however, were only to be obtained from the sea, the people who live on immense continents would have great difficulty in supplying themselves with it. And here you see how kindly providence watches over the comfort of human creatures, for nature has provided that the sea, on leaving those continents, all of which were once overspread with it, should deposit vast quantities of salt, sufficient to provide for the necessities of the inhabitants of those parts. In some places the salt is exposed on the surface of the ground in a glittering crust several inches thick. In others, thicker layers have been covered over with other substances, so that salt now requires to be dug for, like coal or any other mineral. Salt is found in this last shape in almost every part of the world, though in the vast empire of China it is so scarce that it is smuggled into that country in large quantities. A Sundial Our young friends would, we doubt not, like to know how to make a sundial that will give the time very accurately. Common sundials depend on the shadow of a post, which is thick and heavy, and affords only a very rough idea of the time. But the one we are going to tell them about will show the time as precisely as a clock, and it is quite easy to make. It has, in the first place, a face set up slanting on a pedestal. The proper slant answers to the latitude of the place. At and near New York, it should be about 41 degrees from the perpendicular, or a little more than half upright. The face is divided into hour spaces, just like the face of a clock, but the whole circle is not used. A semicircle is all that the sun can traverse, except in the long days of summer. The fourth part of a circle is about all that can be used in ordinary windows. It will answer for the hours between 9 o'clock and 3. It is divided into six equal parts for the hour spaces, and each of these is subdivided for the minutes. If the radius of the circle be one foot, the minute spaces will be about one sixteenth of an inch, or about the same as on the face of a watch. The dividing is easily done with a pair of compasses, a ruler, and a sharp lead pencil. Now we will explain the indicator. It is made of three pieces, a base and two uprights. The base is 15 inches long, three wide, and three quarters of an inch thick. The uprights are of the same thickness, and about seven inches high. They are mortised into the base, and have the shape shown in the picture. A hole half an inch in diameter is bored through the upright at A, and another at B. Over each of these holes pieces of tin are tacked, with a little hole in the centre about as large as a pin's head. When the sundial is placed in position, the sun shines through these holes, and makes a little bright circle on the other upright. The upper hole, A, is for summer, when the sun is high, and the lower one, B, for winter. The indicator is pivoted by a large screw to the centre, C, of the face, so that it can be turned round like the hand of a clock. At the upper end of the indicator a little pointer is fastened directly over the scale of hours and minutes. A needle, or a pin with the head cut off, makes a good pointer. After the sundial is made, the next thing is to set it in its proper position, which is so that when the pointer is at 12, it will also be directed exactly south, while the lower end of the indicator is to the north. Then, at noon by sun-time, the sun will make its little bright circle exactly in the middle of the lower upright. A line should be drawn up and down to show the middle. Then this line will cut the sun circle equally in two. To find out the time before and after noon, the indicator is moved so that the sun circle will fall on the same middle line, 
and the pointer will show the time. This sun time differs somewhat from clock time. The difference for every day in the year is given by the almanacs, and very exactly by the nautical almanac. This difference being added or subtracted makes known the true clock time. Thus, for the 1st of March, clock time is 12 minutes faster than sun time. Hence, noon by the sundial is just that much later than noon by the clock. Any of our readers who have a little mechanical skill can make a sundial on the plan described that, when put in proper position, will be more reliable than the best of clocks, and that will be found a convenient means of setting them right. But don't despise the clocks, for very likely you will have to resort to one in order to get the sundial in position. And then, too, remember that the sun does not shine all the while, but is very fond of hiding behind clouds. End of section 2 Recording by Julian Prattley.